Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. So uh, I just got back from a prayer retreat with a bunch of pastors in the Radiant Church Network. That's one of the church networks that we're a part of, and there was about 30 of us pastors that gathered in northern Michigan from uh, Tuesday night all the way through Friday morning, and we uh, encouraged one another in the Lord, sought the face of God, and uh, it was fantastic. It was a wonderful time, and uh, the way it was set up was we'd come together in the mornings, and we'd eat breakfast together, and then worship, and look in the Word, and hear from one of the network leaders, and be encouraged, and then the there was a big stretch in the middle of the day that we just left open to uh, spend time by ourselves with the Lord, but then also take time together as brothers to get together and, and encourage one another. And one of these afternoons, uh, I got in the car with, with three other pastor friends of mine, and we just drove north, and we went up to Traverse City, and we ate lunch up there, and then we decided to go up the Mission Peninsula. And uh, this is just a really skinny peninsula in northern Michigan. We drove all the way to the very furthest point. There's this old lighthouse there from like 1870, and it's very cool. And spending some time out there looking out on Lake Michigan, just being by myself with the Lord. But on the way back, I noticed, well, I noticed on the way up too, but on the way back, we were just, there was more conversation about all the vineyards that were up there and all the apple orchards that were up there. And a friend of mine who used to live there, he said, yeah, we're, we're at the 45th parallel right now. And this is like prime, you know, the, the prime latitude for this kind of, of fruit. It's like on the same latitude if you go over like to France and Italy. And you've got a lot of this kind of same stuff happening. But right there on that peninsula, the, my friend was telling me how rich the soil was there and how it was easy for the, for the plants and the trees and the, vineyard, the vines to, to grow deep into this rich soil. And it just reminded me of good soil means good roots and good roots mean good fruits. That's what we're talking about here is developing good roots. We stopped at one of these uh, apple stands on the way back. There was nobody manning the apple stand. It was just like this little shack that they had built and these bags of apples that were set out was just like written on the paper bag like $8, $10, you know, depending on what was there. We grabbed a, a bag of of golden delicious, we grabbed a bag of honey crisps. We dropped a little twenty in the in the um, little drop box there, and we took off. And I started eating these apples. I was like, this this thing about good soil, good roots, good fruits. This is legit. This 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 uh, this honey delicious. Uh, this is gold or this honey crisp apple that I had. It was like eating a dessert. It was amazing. It was delicious, and. Uh, I had all these apples. We came back and we were giving them out to everybody. We're like, well, this is kind of weird. You guys go out for an afternoon and come back with apples, and we couldn't eat them all. Even between thirty of us, we couldn't we couldn't eat all these apples over those few days. But it was delicious. And and we're looking at developing a thriving root system in our own spiritual life. And if we're going to do that, then our lives have to be rooted in good soil as well. And today I want to talk about rooting them in the soil of Scripture. There's, a lot, there's a, many areas of where God wants to develop your root system, but none of them is more important than going deep in the Word of God. David understood this. 
And he likened this deepening of the roots, he likened it to practicing, meditating the words and the ways of God. He likened it into a fruitful tree that was planted by the waters. That's what he said, right? Psalms chapter 1, verse 2, verse 3, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know, delighting and meditating on the word of God goes beyond just reading it. If we want to be firmly planted, if we want to have a firmly planted root system, we've got to go deep in the scriptures, which means it does start with reading, but it also is like you're chewing on it mentally and in your soul and you're studying the word of God and you're memorizing it and you're praying it and you're saying it out loud and you're having conversations about it and you're, you're just speaking the word of God over every area of your life. And especially, you are practicing it. You're doing it, right? Because James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but also be doers of it. And David delighted in meditating on the word of God. Psalm 119 is the longest of all the Psalms. It's a 176-verse poem. And in this, in this book, in this psalm, David speaks about the value that he places on the Torah, on the value that he places on the ways of God. And he talks about how that has shaped him, how it's formed him, how it's strengthened him, how it's protected him, how it's led him. The foundation of David's relationship with the Lord was built on the foundation of Scripture. The foundation of David's identity was built on the foundation of Scripture. The foundation of David's calling was built on the foundation of Scripture. We said a couple of weeks ago, we said that, you know, the root system that God wants to build in our lives is a root system of trust in Him. That's part of this process. We've got to trust Him. And in order to build trust... We have to have intimacy with God and dependency upon him. What God, what God does often is he leads us into experiences and opportunities for us to build that trust with him, for us to experience intimacy with him, for us to experience uh, opportunities to depend on him. But God doesn't just rely on our personal experiences to know him. He's also given us this right here, the word of God. And all throughout the scriptures, it, he reveals to us his trustworthiness. And it, this, this is a record of how he's revealed himself countless times of being trustworthy all throughout history. You know, every believer has a mandate. Every believer has a mandate to follow Jesus. And if we want to know how to follow Jesus, if we want to know to see what he does, it's good to have, be in a community of people, to be in a community of, of mature believers who are also following Jesus, and we can look at their example. But even before that, because we're imperfect people, we look here. We look to the Word. If we want to know how to follow Jesus, we want to know exactly who He was, exactly what He do, does, then we look here to the Scriptures. The Bible reveals Jesus and His ways. It reveals that this is what our lives are built on. And I believe Jesus expects us to know him through the scriptures. 
There's a story in, in the book of Luke. After Jesus was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, he was resurrected, but nobody knew that just yet. Two of Jesus' disciples were walking to a village called Emmaus, and they're downtrodden. And the resurrected Jesus comes alongside them on this walk, and they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. And Jesus, this stranger to them, asked him, why you guys look so sad? What's the deal? And they're kind of perplexed. They look at Jesus and say, and I don't know, is Jesus wearing a, a, a hood or something? He's wearing some cloak disguising himself. I don't know how they didn't recognize him. But they don't know who he is. And they're, they're confused. They're like, what do you, have you heard the news? It's all over Jerusalem. The man that they say the Messiah is dead. And so they explained to Jesus, we followed this man. He was our master. We, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to come and to restore Israel. But now he, he, he's dead. He's in the grave. He's died in disgrace. Our hope is, is completely shattered. And they said, you know, we even heard of the rumors that he was resurrected. We heard about the two women who said that they saw Jesus resurrected, but we haven't heard any direct reports from the other disciples, so we, we just don't know. You know, in that moment, Jesus could have like, you know, took the hood off, like, ha, ah, surprise, it's me, I'm alive. But he didn't do that. He, he could have done that in that moment. It's like a gotcha moment, you know? Like, you're on candid camera. But he, did, he didn't do that. He, he goes instead, instead of surprising him, like uh, surprising these two guys like that, he begins to talk to them about himself through the scriptures. He begins to unfold the scriptures to them. Jesus wanted them to recognize him, not just with their physical eyes, but they, he, he wanted them to recognize him through the lens of scripture, to really have firmly solidified in their hearts that he really was the Messiah because of the truth of scripture. So they walk together for quite a while, for miles. And then they come to a place where the two guys are, are ready to stop. Jesus is gonna keep going on, but they beg him. So no, 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 we, we've enjoyed this conversation. Why don't you come and, and have dinner with us? So Jesus agrees to it and they sit down to eat. Jesus takes the bread at the table and he breaks it and he blesses it. And in that moment, as he is doing this symbolic act of what they had been told about in the scriptures, their eyes were opened, their, their spiritual eyes were then opened and their physical eyes were opened and they saw, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. He's been walking with us for miles now and he's been revealing to us who he is through the scriptures. And in that moment, Jesus, boom, he vanished right in front of them. And it, the, the thing to point out here is that, that, again, they didn't recognize him with their physical eyes. But this is what Luke chapter 24, 32 says. They, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I mean, the scripture was coming alive to them. Jesus was coming alive to them through the scriptures. 
and they recognized Jesus immediately as soon as they recognized him through the scriptures. You know, Jesus himself was immersed in and rooted in the truth of scripture. So which as followers of Jesus, maybe it's one of the greatest reasons we too ought to be rooted and immersed in the truth of scripture, just the same as Jesus. If Jesus studied it, if he spoke it, if he believed it, if he practiced the scriptures, then I guess we as followers ought to be doing the same. I mean, right? That's what it means to follow. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple means that you learn the ways of your master and then you follow those ways. It's not just about learning. It's not just about sitting and, and gaining just knowledge, head knowledge. It's about God doing something in your head and your heart and then through your actions, through your everyday life. One of the most memorable ways that Jesus used the scripture was right after he was baptized at the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. From that moment, the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, led him into the wilderness for time of prayer and fasting. And while he was in the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit there, the enemy came to him to test him, to tempt him. And every single time, Jesus was able to look to the enemy and say, it is, it is, that's right. Jesus was rooted in and it had his foundation in the scriptures. Satan's lies, Satan's peer pressures to try to manipulate Jesus because it didn't work because Jesus had dedicated himself to knowing the word of God. You think, well, it was just good enough that he was the word, right? No, he, he dedicated himself to know it. So if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me, right? If it was his foundation, then I'm going to say it's going to be my foundation too. The most famous sermon of Jesus is of all time, most famous sermon ever of anybody of all time is Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus preaches and he concludes the Sermon on the Mount with this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Too many, too much of the church, when I say the church, I don't mean like the institution or organized religion or, you know, that, that building with a sign out, out front. I'm talking about people. Because that's what church is, right? Church is people with Jesus at the center. Too many church people, we have not built our house on the rock like Jesus told us to do. Too many of us have built our house, we've built our lives on shifting sands. What does that mean? Well, instead of building on the foundation of the truth of God's word, we've built on the foundation of shifting sands of feelings. Our society is completely guided by a do whatever feels right. Do whatever feels right today. And if tomorrow something else feels right, then do that too. 
And that kind of mentality, that kind of thought process has slipped its way into the church some. And you hear some people say, well, that just doesn't feel like God. That just doesn't feel like God. But friends, neither feelings or popular opinion, which is the thing that easily sways our feelings sometimes, hello, 2020, neither one of those feelings, neither one of those things, feelings or popular opinion, determine the truth. It doesn't determine the truth for our lives. It doesn't determine the truth of our culture. Truth is not rooted in feelings. Truth is not rooted in popular opinion, but truth is rooted here in the scriptures. There, you're coming alive. Listen, emotions are wonderful things. They can be wonderful things. And I'm not saying that emotions are not important. It's good, it's right for us to connect with God emotionally along with the other dimensions of our being. And when the Lord speaks to us, there is an emotional element. There's an emotional component to that experience. However, every aspect of my experience needs to be tested and understood through the filter of God's word. Why? Because sometimes your feelings don't reflect the truth. Feelings will tell you one thing, but God's word says something else. Well, what am I gonna believe? What am I gonna build my foundation on? What am I gonna act upon? What am I gonna believe? I'm gonna believe this. I'm not gonna believe my feelings. Now, praise God, I want my feelings to line up with scripture. I want, my fee- I want to feel what God feels about every situation in my life, but sometimes that's just not the case. But thank God we have the truth of his word. You know, our era has not been immune to spiritual or theological books that have been controversial. Um, once I read a, uh, about this guy who, who watched a video of a, this video blocker, and he was defending one of these controversial spiritual books, theology books, that was written just a few years ago. Um, and this is, the, <laughs> this is the defense the guy made in the video. He said, you know, if a, if a guy had a, a puppy and he poked the puppy's eyes out, which is horrible, right? I'm glad we dismissed all the children already to hear that. But this is what the guy said. He said, if, I, I, you know, if, if there was a guy and he had a puppy and he gouged out the eyes of the puppy, no, that would not be a good person because a good person wouldn't do that. And so I can't imagine a God, would, a good God would do anything cruel like sending people to hell. So that was, that was his defense of the message of the book. Now, let's pause there for a second and just say, for the record, I do believe that there is a hell. I believe that anyone that is rebellious to God and not submitted or surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ will have to go to hell. But I also believe, ultimately, it's their choice. It's not like God is in heaven just looking down, going, oh, I don't like that. You're going to hell now. That's not how it works. And I also believe that as followers of Jesus that we have the same mandate on our life that Jesus had on his life to seek and save the lost. 
and that we can share the hope of Jesus with people so that they can be saved from hell just like you and I are saved from hell. Amen? So back to the, back to the point of this, of this video blogger. When I hear things like that, like what the, the blogger was saying, explaining what he believes based on his imagination of who God is, when I hear that kind of thing, I've programmed my mind to immediately think, you know what? I don't know. I don't want to know what it is that you think. I don't want to know what you think God would do or what God wouldn't do. I want to know what the scripture says. What, what we imagine God to be like should not come into the conversation. What the scripture says about the person of God and who he is and his nature and his character and his likeness and what he does and what he doesn't do, that's what's important. The Bible has to come before our feelings and it has to come before our imagination. The default question when looking at any area of our lives or society must be, what does God's word say about this? A lot of Christians seem to have lost the priority of testing everything by the scriptures. We've come to believe what we feel is true. Man, this, this feels right. This feels like it's true. And we're not continually going back to the scripture to find truth. And if you're going to navigate this root-growing process well, it's critical that you know the truth of God's word. Be passionately committed to testing everything in your life through the lens, through the filter of the scriptures. Just determine in your heart right now, this is the person I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus. That means I'm gonna be in love with the word of God. That means I'm gonna study the word of God. It means I'm gonna put God's word in my heart and in my mouth. It means I'm gonna act on the word of God. It means I'm gonna look at everything in, in life going on. I'm gonna look at all the, the mess that the world is in right now and I'm gonna look at it through the lens of the scripture, not through what CNN or Fox News says, not through what Facebook says or Twitter says, not through what... Uh, my, my friends at work say, but I'm going to look at it and think about it through the lens of the scripture, amen? This process of God developing your roots, it's going to put you in uncomfortable positions from time to time. Deepening your roots is going to stretch you, it's going to challenge you, and it's common for us to enter into environments where God is moving and wanting to do something, but our flesh is like, ah, this doesn't feel good. I'm being stretched, I'm being challenged, this is uncomfortable, I don't like this. And many people, they reason. They say, well, I don't think this is Jesus. I don't think this is God because I don't think Jesus would make me uncomfortable, so this must not be God. Listen, Jesus is not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with your obedience. Your comfort level should not be the thing that determines whether or not you think God is in something or not in something. When you read the Bible, you're going to find account after account after account of God making people feel uncomfortable, stretching them and challenging them. How about when the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee on that stormy night and they see walking toward them on the water what they think is a ghost. You know, Jesus in that moment was not worried about their comfort. 
Now, obviously, he was not wanting them to jump into the spirit of fear like they did. But that moment was not about Jesus going, oh, honey, oh, calm down. I just want you to be comfortable. No, Jesus in that moment was revealing something more supernatural about the character and nature of God to them. He was teaching them something that they needed to dive into. And Peter got it. Peter stepped out. Now, Peter took his eyes off Jesus for a moment. He gets a bad rap. Peter, Peter gets a bad rap. Well, he sank. He stepped out of the boat, y'all. He walked on water. We talk, Jesus walked on water. So did Peter. And you know, he started sinking. He started sinking. But then Jesus reached down and got him. And how do you think that they got back to the boat? You think Jesus drug him through the water? <laughs> no. Jesus didn't drag Peter through the water. The boy probably stood right back up and walked back to the boat. Come on. Don't be uncomfortable and stay in the boat. Even if you get out and you mess up. Even if you get out and you take your eyes off Jesus for a second. Get out of the boat. Get uncomfortable. Life is going to be full of these moments of discomfort and uncertainty. Jesus told us. He said the rains are going to come. The flood is going to come. The wind is going to come. It's going to come. And the only way we're going to withstand the storms is having our lives built on the foundation of God's word with our roots firmly planted in and knowing and doing the scriptures. It's the only rock that we can stand on in the swirl of this conflicting uh, world of, of emotions and perceptions that we live in. Jamie and I, we just finished our 19th year of full-time ministry last month or in August. We just wrapped up 19 years of full-time ministry, so we've started our 20th year now. And over the years, we've heard a lot of people here and there, many different churches, different parts of the country, they, they come to us or we hear this and we say, well, God told me, and then fill in the blank, whatever it was. And they got a word from God. And so what, it, what they do is they then they start, take a step toward what they think that God said to them. And then six days pass. <laughs> or six weeks. Or six months. And then all of a sudden, God said something different than what he said six days ago or six weeks ago or six months ago. And so now we're chasing something different. What's going on here? Well, I think one of three things. One of three things. The first thing, maybe God's schizophrenic. Maybe God doesn't know what he really wants. Maybe God... Tells people one thing one day, and then the next day he tells them something contrastly different. No, I don't think that's right. God's not schizophrenic, is he? He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So praise God, we can rule that option out. God's not schizophrenic. He's not changing his mind on a dime. Second option is this. Maybe God didn't say that thing at all. And it just felt good to your flesh in that moment. In the moment, it just was like, yeah, this feels right. And, and if that's the case, 
Maybe you just have a discernment problem. And that's okay because where you go to get help for discernment is right here in this book, the truth, the foundation, God's word. And you come into a community of people who have also built their lives on the foundation of the truth of God's word. And they have a good track record of discerning well. And so you go to God's word and you go and you put yourself in a community of people that have a good track record of discerning well. So that's a possibility. The third option is this. Maybe God did say it. Maybe he said the first thing. But maybe you have an endurance or a perseverance issue or an obedience issue. And you didn't follow through with what he told you to do. And so you heard God say something new and you changed, shift, shifted directions. You went a different way. And if that's the case, that's okay too because you can get help for that. And you go to God's word and you root yourself and you put your foundation on the truth of God's word and you go get into a community of people who have rooted themselves on God's word and they have a good track record of perseverance and obedience. It sounds like I'm talking about the church, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. You find mature believers in the church and you come alongside and you walk with them and you watch them persevere and you watch them walk in obedience to the Lord and you draw on that example and you draw on the strength that the Holy Spirit gives you when, he, when you put the word of God and you plant the word of God on the inside of you. Today, we're obviously, we're talking about the imperativeness of planting yourself and rooting yourself in the word of God. We're also gonna talk later in this series about the soil of community and how important that is as well. You know, being rooted in the scriptures, it helps us bring correction and order to our inner life, to our internal world, so that our thoughts and our emotions actually come into alignment with the scriptures, with the word of God. We've got to do this. We've got to, uh, Romans, Paul says, to live your life as a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable service. It's a reasonable expectation that you live your life as a living, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. And part of doing that is you come to God and you bring every part of who you are to him and you lay it on the altar. You don't keep back certain things. Well, God, I'm bringing all of you to me, but not really. You have the, these inner parts of your life that you're, you're not surrendered to the Lord yet. Maybe your inner thought life. Maybe there's certain fears that you deal with. Maybe there's lust issues that you deal with. Maybe there's control issues that you deal with or envy issues that you deal with. But you take all of that. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm going to take all these things and I'm going to lay them on the altar of God. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to bring all of this stuff to you, Lord. Every part of who I am, what I believe, 
my personality and my temperament, God, I lay it on the altar. All of my behavior things, God, all of my thought life, and I'm going to bring it all under the authority of your word. Your word is in charge. Our emotions, our emotions are connected to what we believe and what we've been meditating on. If we, if we want to be able to trust our emotions and, and trust that they're reflecting the truth, then we've got to hold our emotions up and have them submitted to the truth of God's word. Sometimes what I feel is not what I ought to be feeling. Listen, this is, there's a deep truth to this, and it'll affect your entire being. Sometimes we think that we can keep things hidden, keep things secret. No one else knows what's going on, and that might be true to a degree. But this kind of stuff begins to leak out and affect every part of your being. I'll tell you a little story about that. You know, I grew up, I'm a late Gen Xer. Late Gen X, which means I had an analog childhood and a digital adolescence, which means I love video games. <laughs> Still to this day. I don't get to play them as much as I'd like to. I have to be productive in life. <laughs> I'm a husband and a father. I'm a pastor. But every once in a while, I get to play some 2K with my son. It's good. That's basketball, if you guys didn't know. Anyway, like 2K. Um, but about eight or nine years ago, I was in this short season. It was, it was, I think, spanned over a matter of weeks. I wasn't sleeping well. I was having horrible dreams. And I, that's very unusual for me. I don't have bad dreams. Uh, when I have a bad dream, a nightmare or something like that, I, I wake up and I surrender that to the Lord and go, Lord, what's going on with that? And I immediately go to the Holy Spirit with that. And that is not a common occurrence for me. And so I'm not, I'm not resting well. I'm waking up. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I'm short with my wife and my children. I go to work. I'm dragging. I'm not, uh, you know, performing to 100% performance level. And I come home. And again, I'm tired. I just want to be left alone. Take a short nap or something in the afternoon hang out, don't want to really, not motivated to do anything, get anything accomplished around the house, go to bed, not sleep well, and just that cycle just kept going on and on and on for a number of weeks. And I just couldn't figure it out. I was getting tired. It was wearing me down. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this, when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. When fatigue walks in, faith walks out. You will find yourself... Being um, when, when in, in moments of your life, in seasons of your life, when you are especially physically tired or emotionally tired, you'll find that the enemy co will come and try to tempt you, and you will have a little bit more uh, proclivity to fall into that temptation. So it's important. It's important that we are self-aware of not just our spirit, but our whole self, because body, soul, and spirit are all intertwined and interconnected. So I went to the Lord, and I was going, God, what is the deal with this? I'm tired of, of being ugly to my wife and kids over the least little things and, like, flying off the handle. I'm tired of, of not being able to think clearly at work and, and lead people as I'm pastoring people. I'm tired of waking up tired and having these dreams. 
And the Holy Spirit just said to me, just kind of, as I'm asking the Holy Spirit a question, Holy Spirit asked me a question. What are you feeding on? What are you meditating on? Well, I started thinking about that for a second. See, my house, you know, kids go to bed a little earlier. You know, they're, they're children. They need more rest. Jamie, she goes to bed a little earlier. She can sleep about 12 hours a day if you just let her. She's, she's an early to bed and late to rise kind of girl. And that's just how she's wired. Nothing wrong with that. It's just how she's wired. So everybody's in bed by 10 o'clock, and I'm a night owl, man. I go over there and pop that video game in the Xbox, and I'm not playing this game. And this particular game, see, I'm not down on all video games, but this particular game I was playing had a storyline to it. It was particularly dark. It was particularly violent. I'd play that for an hour, hour and a half, shut it down, go to sleep. And I'd be feeding on that and meditating on that before I go to lay down and and try to fill my bucket up before the next day and before I have to go pour my bucket out. The Holy Spirit says, what are you feeding on? What are you meditating on? I just... That game came to my mind immediately. That was a no, that was not hard decision at all for me to make. We're 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 just gonna take that thing, pop it in the case, throw it in the trash. That was an easy decision for me to make because it had been affecting my entire self, spirit, soul, and body. And what that cost me was not worth the entertainment value I was getting out of it. Not even close telling you it's important what you feed on it's important what you meditate on that's why we're looking at the importance of God's word oftentimes we experience these powerful emotions that are connected to negative beliefs or limiting beliefs about ourselves or even about God I've heard people say why would God want me I've done too much stuff or I'm damaged goods too much too many things have happened to me How could God do anything with my life? There's no hope. Well, all that's lies. All that's lies. No matter how real your emotions feel to you, those things aren't true because they don't line up with the truth of the scripture. And if you want to align your emotions with truth, then you need to go to God's word and find out what he says about who he is and what he does. And not create it from your own imagination or just what, from secondhand information that you heard someone else say. What does God's word say? What does, God's, what does God think about you? You're dealing with these issues of, of self-worth. And if you really want to determine what something is worth, what it's really valued, what do you do? You go find out what are people willing to spend on that thing. You go find the highest bidder and you find out what are they, what are they willing to spend on the thing, and that'll tell you what that thing is worth. Well, likewise, when you're struggling with your own value, you've got to look to the scriptures, and you got to go, you got to say, what was God willing to pay for me? The price that He paid is so immense that we can't even really totally fathom it. He paid the price of of coming from heaven to earth, Elohim, Emmanuel, God with us. 
and he served us, and he suffered for us, and he died for us. And not only did he raise from the dead, but he, he brought us into the resurrection, and we are raised to life with Christ, with him. Amen. See, the scripture gives us testimony of the value in which God holds us and he thinks about us. If you are just interested and you're like, yeah, man, this is speaking to me. I need, I need to find out what God's word says about me. Just go to Romans chapter 8. Just start there. That's a good starting place. But the point is this. The point is this. The point is to delight and to meditate on the truth of God's word until your emotions, which, are, which are, might be way out here, you're del- you start delighting and you start meditating on the truth of who God is and what he, he says about you and what he thinks about you or any situation in your life. And then your emotions begin to come into alignment with his truth. That's when you know that your roots are growing deep in the word of God. I want to read one more passage to you here. We usually have these up on the screen, uh, but I don't have this one. Go to John chapter one, if you've got your Bibles with you, whether it be in print or digital. John chapter one, verses one and two. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I was just gonna read a couple verses here, but I'm gonna read some more. How about that? Let's read the Bible in the church. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then we skip down here to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who's this verse talking about? Come on, say it, Crystal. Who's this verse talking about, sister? All everybody. Who's this verse talking about? So what does this mean for us? It means that as we're growing our roots into the word of God, we're growing our relationship with the person of Jesus himself, which is what this whole thing is about. Fall in love with God's word and fall in love with Jesus. Stand with me. God, we want to be lovers of your word. God, I just, for those of us that need to just repent to you and say, God, we're just sorry. We're sorry for not placing high value on your word like we should. We repent of that. We confess that. And we turn and we say, we're going to be people of the word of God. We're going to be people of the word of God. God, help us. Stir within us, Holy Spirit, a love, a desire for these spirit-inspired scriptures. Jesus, I pray that when we read this word, that you come alive to us. That we come to your word to find intimacy with you. 
that we come to your word to find strength to be dependent upon you. That we come to your word to build trust in you. We come to your word to know who you really are and not just what the world says or not just what my mama or daddy say, God, or not just what I heard growing up in Sunday school, God, but I want to know you for myself through the truth that's found here in the word of God. God, teach me how to be a student of your word. God, when there's things I don't understand in here, help me find out the understanding. Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth to me. God, lead me to the right resources that can show me how to read your word and find the truth in here. Jesus, we declare it's all about you. It's all about you. It's, you're making all things new. In all things, we're in you, God. Things were made to you are all things. And in you are all things. Right now, I just encourage you right now in your own heart, just point your heart to magnify the Lord. Point your heart to magnify Jesus right now. Put him on the throne of your heart right now. Jesus, we just come to you and we acknowledge that you are the Prince of Peace. You're the Lord of Lords. You're the King of Kings. You're the Messiah. You're our healer. Jesus, we give our attention to you. We give our affections to you. We want to be in love with you. Our heart wants to burn for you. Like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That God, when you reveal yourself to us, Jesus, through the scriptures, we want our hearts to burn like their hearts burned. God, for those of us that have struggled, we've been bored maybe with the word because we didn't understand God, I pray that you would toil, you would, you would turn the soil of our hearts, God. You would turn the soil of our hearts, that our soil, or the soil of our hearts would not be rocky ground, but it would be good, rich, deep soil. That when the seed of your word hits our hearts, it takes root and it grows. It's been cultivated to bear much fruit that lasts. Jesus, we give you all honor and all glory and all praise. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.